Hey, hello, everybody. Today we have Warwick Fairfax back on the podcast. Warwick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, John. Great to be back. You know, it's so great to have you here. And Warwick, if you guys remember when he was on before, and we're going to dig into this a little bit, but as you can tell by his accent, native Australian, we were just talking about it. I've been there many times from my times in the Navy. It was back there for the anniversary of the Coral Sea. It's an amazing country with incredible people. And Warwick, you grew up, your family had built this media dynasty, and then you launched a bid to privatize that company, and it resulted in you completely losing control and going from really, you know, the heir apparent, the peak of business to basically completely starting over with nothing. And it's something you describe as a crucible moment in this journey you know, through failure, losing your identity, really questioning everything about who you are mentally, emotionally, spiritually. My goodness. It was an amazing episode, everybody. And I'm going to have Warwick recap that a little bit. But, and then Warwick started Crucible Leadership. And you guys can go to crucibleleadership.com. And you also have a podcast. And what you've discovered through this work is as you've journeyed through this, because sometimes when we go through these valley periods, it feels like we're so isolated and alone. And sometimes we look at these people that look like they have it all together. And what we don't know is they've actually probably even gone through some deeper valleys than we've even gone through. And what we're going to be talking about today is really, I think, not only from Warwick and I's perspective, having gone through some crucibles, but really what Warwick has learned interviewing so many people that are successful today or they're thriving today in different ways as they have gone through those moments. Isn't that right, Warwick? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. It's amazing to hear stories, get it, people getting beyond tragedy, beyond crucible moments and leading lives which are productive and giving to others. It's always great to hear those stories. So share with us, just to kind of start out, kind of, you know, your story, just to remind everybody who maybe hasn't heard your interview in the past. Oh, it's by the way, if you guys want to go back and listen to the whole story, because it's incredible, just go to eternalleadership.com forward slash 272, 272. Or if you're on your podcast app, just search for Warwick Fairfax. And that's W-A-R-W-I-C-K. The first, second W is silent. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but go ahead, Warwick. Yeah. So I grew up in a large family media business in Australia. It was founded in late 1830s by my great-great-grandfather. It grew to, you know, really cover every aspect of media. It had the equivalent of the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal of Australia, TV stations, radio, magazines, newsprint mills. So it was really sort of the dominant, at least opinion leader of the country. What's interesting, because I know a lot of your listeners are people of faith, is it was started by a fellow that came out from England who was a, a really a stronger businessman for Christ as I've ever come across. He was an elder at his church, great dad, great family man. Kids loved him, employees loved him, but yet he founded this very successful business. He kind of did it the right way. So just a remarkable story. So by the time I came on the scene, uh, I was a child of my dad's third marriage and my mother's second. So my dad was like in his late 50s when I was born, which you know, obviously a little old to have kids, but it's just kind of how it worked. 
So in 1987, he died. He was in his 80s. I was just back from Harvard Business School, having recently graduated. And I felt like the company wasn't being run along the lines of the founder in terms of, you know, maybe the ethics and journalistic standards. I didn't feel like management was doing a particularly good job. And there were also rumors, this is the 80s, at the height of corporate raiders, both in Australia and the US. So there was a fear since the family held about 50%, but you know, with the right price, there was fear that it would be taken over. So anyway, I ended up launching a $2.25 billion takeover in 26 at the time, in 1987. And, you know, kind of, yeah, Wait, I'm, you were 26. You, boy, you must have been full of yourself, huh? You know, <laughs> you would think, but but no, it was more the sense of mission. You know, it's kind of like, I know you, obviously you've been in the military and I'm certainly not, but that whole notion of duty on a country, I'm kind of wired that way. So this felt like, like the right thing to do and you just kept moving forward oh, and this it, is actually what happened. You're like, oh my goodness, this is all happening, which... And then almost reinforced the sense of mission. If it felt like a crusade, it's like, you know, I might die trying proverbially, but somebody has to do something. And, you know, it's founded by a strong believer. I was a believer at that point, you know, by then. So, yeah, it wasn't so much. I mean, it's like, you know, getting into all the details, because I know it's a long story. I was so, I mean, young and naive. Somehow I found some banks that lent me that much money. Why is a whole nother story, but they did. I guess I inherited some reasonably significant shareholding. But I remember saying to other family members who were involved, look, you know, I just want to change management. I don't need to be in control. Everybody can keep their positions, but I want to have enough shares to be in control. Who wants to be, you know, a minority shareholder in a privatized company with a 26-year-old in charge? I mean, it was just ludicrous. But it really wasn't about me or ego. It was more about the mission. Anyway, you know, young, naive, foolish. So Brought a new management, operating profits increased by 80%, which I guess showed it wasn't being as managed as well. Australia got into a big recession in 1990. Newspapers are very cyclical in terms of revenue. So the company ended up going under. We had to file for bankruptcy because the debt was so big as part of the takeover. Other family members sold out. So by late 1990, the company was under. So my dream, my vision had been to try and preserve this 150-year-old company for future generations, and sure it was well run. And yet by doing the takeover, it, in sense, ensured that it passed from family hands. And, you know, obviously, you know, you could Google me back then or even now. I actually have, unfortunately, a Wikipedia entry. It's pretty much young, you know, foolish, idealistic kid could have had it all and blew it. That's pretty much what the entry says. So during that time, I met my wife, who was an American and I met in Australia. And so we moved to the US. I was familiar with the US, went to business school here, and I needed a fresh start. And that certainly wasn't going to happen in the goldfish bowl of Sydney in Australia. So that is the short story. And it took years to get my self-esteem back and figure out something productive because my whole life was grooming myself, Oxford, Wall Street, Harvard Business School to go into the family business. So when that ended, it's like, well, what kind of now what? Now what do I do? So yeah, that's sort of the, the brief. Uh, yeah, the brief and you're probably us. known in your probably known industry and in the business world, right? This is one of the big things on your CV, right? Your resume is yeah. what happened when you took all that knowledge and education and applied it toward, you know, the family business. 
Yeah, I mean, there weren't too many jobs for ex-media moguls. I mean, it was it was tough. In fact, I probably, you know, dumbed down my resume a little bit, which, you know, padding your resume is one thing. Somehow, ethically, it felt okay to dumb it down a bit for whatever reason in the 90s. So I did get a job in a kind of local, I live in Maryland, a local aviation services company doing, I don't know, financial and business analysis, and then gradually, bit by bit, coaching and which I've done a lot of, and now Crucible Leadership Claude went my way back. But it was, it was a very long journey after that. Very long well, journey. I would like you to share, because you had a big turning point, and this was when your pastor asked you to share just a short, like, seven-minute illustration on the life of David. And you're like, well, you know, I don't really, you know, connect to that. You weren't falsely persecuted, but in right. preparing this and giving this, you act something pretty significant happened, correct? That's right, John. It was a turning point. I mean, I'm probably a bit shy and reserved by nature. So getting up in front of, you know, I'm still an elder at that church. It's like about a couple thousand these days, you know, largest church for Maryland. So yeah, he wanted me to, as you say, give an illustration of a righteous man falsely persecuted as well. I'm not David. I brought a lot of it on myself, but fine. And so I just shared what I went through when I felt like God had been teaching me and how I, you know, kind of tried to get my self-esteem back. And I guess when you share something so openly and vulnerably, what amazed me is in the weeks and months after people came up and said, you know, Warwick, thank you for sharing because I can really relate to that. That was really helpful. And I'm thinking, how many ex-media moguls are there in the congregation? Like to my knowledge, none. They're just a regular people. But somehow just sharing what you went through and maybe some lessons you feel like the Lord has taught you, that was a turning point. And that led me to you know, begin the journey of writing a book and then Crucible Leadership about how you bounce back from Crucible experiences, my stories, some stories from my family, historical figures, biblical figures. But that was a turning point in which maybe my pain can be used to help others. And that was one of the turning points, which was when you can use your pain to help others, it somehow eases the pain. It's almost like a bomb. It doesn't totally make the pain go away, but it's certainly a help if you feel like you can use your pain to benefit others. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's also about putting things in context. Something, something that's been revealed to me, really, as I look at, you know, through my whole experience, is a lot of, you know, looking at the future, my prayers were about, you know, what is God's will for my life, right? Like what mm-hmm. business decision do I need to make? Mm-hmm. And God has reshaped that work significantly toward this. And that is asking God to reveal what his will is out there in the world. Mm-hmm. And what do I need to do to change and adjust to join him in what he's doing? And this struck me the other day, I was actually reading about Moses, right? Mm-hmm. He kills the Egyptian, and now he's in Midian for 40 years, right? He's a mm-hmm. shepherd. Uh, you know, there are a lot of shepherds <laughs> in Australia, right? Indeed. Goat herders. <laughs> and the father comes to him and says, hey, here's your assignment, right? But this wasn't God's will for Moses as much as God's will in that moment was to free a nation. Right. And Moses had a part to play, and there was all these things, these crucible moments that had led up to that point, there were more to come. And here's what I realized, right? If when, you know, we're praying to accomplish, have a life of significance, 
right? right? Do things with our life, to do kingdom work. And if God has this great assignment for us, which I believe he does, right? You know, we're Christ's perfect workmanship. Right. And there's these works that he's prepared for us to do. And they build on each other because God wants to develop our character. And I know for me to have a great assignment, I have to have a great character to match that assignment. And before he can give me that assignment, he has to put me through things so I'm ready for that, right? Like to lead, yeah. let's say if I wanted to lead a movement, yeah. right? could I go do that right now, right? I, I feel like we're actually at the cusp of where God is leading me toward doing that. But it's been a lifetime, 53 years of preparation to even be in a place where I could partner with God in doing that work. And, you know, the other thing I've also realized, too, is as you're seeking on what that is next, right? Right. And I want to do my own thing. And when I say no or I delay when God is giving me guidance and direction, he's going to stop coming to me to include him in his plans and just let me do right. my own thing. But like the prodigal son, he can't wait for me to come back and say, hey, you know, how do I make that pivot to work with you? So. I think for me, really moving through this has been like this process of maturing my understanding of who God is, who he made me to be, and actually what this life is actually really all about, right? It's not all just about winning all the time. Right. Yeah, I mean, that is very perceptive. When you think of Moses, by the time he got through being a sheep herder, he was like 80 years old. You know, so it's almost like his life's work began then, which it's easy when you get into your 50s is as we both are, to say, gosh, you know, time's ticking away and, you know, how much time is left to really accomplish something meaningful in the world. I mean, if you're human, you can't help but think that. But what you said is so true is trying to understand what is God's plan in the world? What's his grand, you know, redemptive plan? What does it mean to be part of his kingdom? It's a whole separate discussion that when I ask people, so what are your gifts? What are your passions? How do you think what you do is part of God's kingdom, and 99% of believers I know just that understand what the question is, which is a whole nother discussion. But yeah, I mean, your point about understanding what God's plan is and how I fit into that, that's really the right question rather than, oh, you know, I want to be used mightily, I want to be super successful. And I guess another point you make that if, to achieve great things, you have to have great character. I mean, you look at some of the giants of the faith where, you know, people like Billy Graham and others, I mean, these are people on their knees praying, you know, Jesus before he chose 12 disciples. He's on, you know, I'm assuming on his knees on a mountaintop seeking the Lord's wisdom. That's Jesus seeking the Lord's wisdom, you know, before major decisions, he pretty much always did that. You know, God in his Gethsemane, you know, he's praying because he knows what's to come. So, yeah, that just sense of character, prayer, not so much worrying about your own agenda, but it's, as somebody once said to me, okay, Lord, the answer is yes, what's the question? You know, right? Yeah. What is it you want me to do? And that's easy to say. It's really hard to live that way because we're all wired to achieve. Nothing wrong with achievement, but, you know, as somebody once said, in, in the service of what? You know, what does God want? And, you know, whether that's big or small in the world's eyes isn't as relevant as if this is part of God's plan, the answer should be yes, right? Yeah. And in my personal opinion, right, what God is doing when we bring our faith into the work that we do, right? Mm -hmm. I believe 
right now, everybody listening, wherever you're sitting and working, your biggest place of influence, because God is working in the lives of everybody around you. It's working in the culture of that company, even if we can't see it right now. But if we actually start, I think, thinking that way, like, where is God working? Is there somebody in my organization that's going through their own crucible moment? Maybe there's massive work that's happening in that one person's life. And if if we've gone through something like you did and you shared so vulnerably, that gives people permission to kind of drop their barriers and let somebody in and actually start having conversations that are, that need to happen that are really meaningful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I go to a very missional church, but it's a little bit countercultural, but I think of that quote by St. Francis, which is preach often, uh, use words only when necessary. Now, from an evangelical perspective, that goes a little far than most of us might feel comfortable with. But there is this notion that, and James talks about this a lot, is, you know, our faith and deeds have to match. So if you're preaching a great sermon, but, you know, you live a life where you're ignoring your wife, husband, kids, you mistreat co-workers, that does the gospel such disservice. I think of the advertising world. One of the you know things you never do in advertising is have a great ad campaign with a poor product, because that will really tick off consumers and they will never buy it again. So yeah. you know, we can preach a great message, but our lives have to be congruent. So if you're a business leader, you're humble. Are you willing to recognize the accomplishments of those on your team? Are you willing to praise them, or do you have to be the one to talk? Do you have to be the one to always get praise? When people mess up, yes, there's accountability, but is there at least moral forgiveness. Yes, there might be actions that have to be taken, but you know, how do you treat those around you when maybe their families are sick? Do you kind of listen? I mean, there's, there's so many characteristics that Jesus points out on the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere that if we live that way, then the words that we say will, will have such a bigger impact and the actions we have will have a massive impact in the organization, our family, our friends, Character is one of the biggest evangelistic tools. If, if they know who we are and they know our faith journey and they know that, you know, we're believers in Jesus as the Lord of our lives, it makes a massive character as a huge evangelistic tool. Yeah, it sure. Now, everybody out there, through this, when you launched Crucible Leadership, you also launched a podcast called Beyond the Crucible. And you had me on there. We just had a fantastic conversation. I really love how you do it. But you have so many other powerful stories and all the circumstances are so different. And here's what I'd like to ask you. You know, listening to all these stories as you've been doing this now, what elements have you noticed or observed as you hear people's stories that have been able to move through this crucible, this adversity? right? It doesn't mean the other side is like this, you know, mind-blowing success. But through this is, you know what, we've changed, we've evolved, our character has changed, our mind has transformed. I consider that success moving through a crucible, personally. But what have you noticed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, through some of the you know, the podcasts, I mean, they've all resonated, I'd like to think, but the ones that really resonate, the ones that are willing to be vulnerable, as you know, you, John, obviously being vulnerable with, you have more crucibles than most people I know between <laughs> uh, the Top Gun Navy pilot and business challenge and horse riding accident. I mean, wow, I mean, you have a lot. But yeah, I mean, we've had 
Yeah, I wasn't going for the record work. (laughs) (laughs) You pretty much got it, unfortunately. But yeah, no, I mean, the variety of stories is interesting. I mean, just by way of background, we've had like a father and son who were Navy SEALs in Southern California. The son was paralyzed in a parachuting accident. And both people of faith, just hearing that journey, which was just gut-wrenching for both for different reasons. We've had a, a woman who was abandoned by her middle-class parents in the suburbs of Detroit at age 13, and she had to find her way back. We've had a lot of people of faith, the ones I'm talking about. We've had others, a woman that really is all about empowering women in the workplace and just being brave and courageous. And she also has some messages for men, which for men tends to be be a bit more vulnerable and open because it's it's not the dumb thing in corporate America for guys to be open and vulnerable. you know, the characteristics is the thread. I mean, certainly being open about what you went through, I think, is a help. Accepting it, you may not like what happened. Obviously, you didn't like any of the things that happened to you, but to be able to move on, you have to accept it in some fashion. So that acceptance is a huge key. You know, finding a way to forgive, whether it's forgive others, forgive, you know, if Maybe you, some people might blame God for what happened. Forgiveness is important. So acceptance, forgiveness, and then being able to turn the pain you've been through in a life of significance, as I talk about a life on purpose dedicated to helping others, that's also a help. And certainly the people of faith, and frankly, I don't, you know, it's, I'm biased, but to bounce back from a crucible experience without faith, to me, just makes it a whole lot harder. It's not impossible, but it's harder. So for me, And I think for some of the others I've interviewed, but I'll just share mine here. Yes, there were some things that really helped me bounce back. Having a loving wife who'd been married a bit over 30 years and wonderful kids. That was a huge help. Supportive friends, church. But probably the biggest thing for me was my faith in God. The fact that God loves me unconditionally. He doesn't need Fairfax Media. He doesn't need me to accomplish massive things for him. He doesn't need my accomplishments. He just loves me because I'm a child of God. That was the cornerstone of what, you know, brick by brick helped my self-esteem and self-worth climb back. So it was a number of factors, but acceptance, faith, forgiveness, vulnerability, the desire to use your pain to help others, those are sort of the building blocks of common stories of how you get beyond. Yeah, and a big part of what you talk about too is really through this, and you call it discover your design. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was through both of our crucible moments that I think we really started to understand who we are. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's foundational because, you know, I look at the whole leadership industry as an example. Here in the US, American companies on average spend $24 billion per year on leadership training. And I went into Amazon the other day and just searched in books for leadership titles. Over 30,000 came back. I I was like, oh my goodness. And I look around the world, both in business, nonprofits, Mm -hmm. the government, politics, right? And man, Mm -hmm. does it feel like we're getting better at leading, at doing good through doing business, at really honoring the value of each human person, right? Love God and love others is the primary commandment. And I remember, and I've shared this before, but I think it was so powerful. I was sitting down with my coach as I was really recovering from my accident in Mm -hmm. this crucible moment. And I said, you know what, I really need to figure out how I'm wired 
to -hmm. figure out what I should do next. I was kind of focused on this why, what, and how, right? And not as much on the who and my identity. And that's what you're really talking about here. And he asked me a question Mm -hmm. that shifted everything for me. He goes, well, he goes, I think maybe you should ask that question differently. Mm -hmm. Why don't you ask yourself, how did God wire you? And then ask yourself, what did he wire me for? Because God wants us to partner mm-hmm. with him versus go do these big grandiose things like on our own. Exactly. Right? So for you going through this and hearing other people, what are some of those things you think allowed people to really connect to that true identity that God, you know, set there? Because we have all yeah. these things that get in the way of that, right? Our mindsets, our experience, our habits, our anger issues, yeah. our, you know, all these, there's so many things that we just let in over time, these lies, I think, that we accept as truths about ourselves, which, and then rooting out the falsehoods is, you know, a process. Yeah, it's such a great discussion. I mean, to figure out, gee, you know, what should I be doing? How you're wide is foundational, but character is you know, obviously faith for believers is the bedrock of who we are, but how does that faith work its way out in our lives? To me, that's what I call character. And so just, you know, striving to be humble people, people of integrity. I mean, humility is a key biblical value. It's not just for some people, you know, some it might come more naturally than others, but, you know, the sense of humility, we are created beings, you know, things that we accomplished is through the gifts God has given us so that character formation of faith is critical. You know, I believe that God doesn't make mistakes. And so if he wired you a certain way, he wired you for a purpose. Don't ignore your divine design and say, well, I don't like the way I'm wired. I want to do something else. Well, that's just stupid. You know, it's like if you're wired to be one thing, accept it, embrace it and do it. Whether you're artistic, athletic, engineering, a painter, whatever it is, it's all good. Just, use it for God's, you know, glory. And for me, by way of example, to be successful, at least as I perceived it back in my newspaper days, I felt like I had to be a Rupert Murdoch, a hard charging like business tycoon. And that's just not me. I'm a reflective advisor. I can Mm. make decisions when I need to, but you know, I'd probably be the worst fighter pilot in the world because you've got to make massive decisions in five milliseconds. I need hours sometimes to make a decision. So, you know, it's like, I mean, it depends, you know, but I'm a very thoughtful, I'm always reflective. So it was a terrible match. So now what I try and do is somebody once said, don't do the things you're merely good at, do the things you're great at. I think we will be great at some things. So with Crucible Leadership, with my writing podcasts, it's all about reflecting. It's just a great fit. So I think for people in general who are listening, Faith and character formation is critical. As your coach said to you, you can't ignore that. Understanding your design. And then, you know, what are the passions God has put on your heart? What are the things you're really passionate about? Maybe you're passionate about leadership. Maybe you're passionate about some nonprofit area. Sometimes a passion can come out of your crucible experience. For instance, for those who abuse, they might want to help others who uh, abuse victims, help them recover. I mean, that's an often commonality. So, I think yeah, like as an example, like I was talking yeah. to a guy and we were having this conversation and his, when I'm coaching somebody, I'm always looking at their body mm-hmm. language, their energy, right. their language, and all of a sudden he was actually talking about how he helped somebody and helped them learn this skill and accomplish mm-hmm. 
something, man, he was just energized and excited. And I said, Hey, like what just happened there? It feels like you just right. tapped into a passion. And we got into this great discussion as we dug into like, all these moments that just kind of light him up. And then we said, okay, this list that we came up with, right? Mentoring others, helping them find a skill that helps them succeed, having meaningful conversations with other people. I said, now as CEO of this company with 500 people, you know, how much do you get to do that? Well, almost none because of his calendar. And he's so right. right? He doesn't get to work in like what you said, your greatest strength. He is probably one of the best mentors. He's one of the most intuitive and insightful people. He can listen and like ask a question that's like three layers deep that gets right to the heart <laughs> of the matter. Like he has this skill. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was like right at the edge of burnout. Like he was frustrated. He just felt like life wasn't going right. And as we worked together, he started actually changing his role, how he was delegating and giving work to his team so that he could do more of that. And over about a six-month period, it was like somebody just turned the light on because now he was doing the same job he was doing before as CEO of his organization, but he was intentionally operating in the areas of his design and his strengths. And I got to tell you, it transformed the company. Well, I mean, that's such a great case study is, you know, from a business perspective too, if you're operating in how you're designed in the area that you're passionate about, it'll probably be more successful. On the other hand, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're not passionate about what you're doing, the chances of it succeeding are pretty close to nil. So it makes poor faith sense and it doesn't make good business sense. So, you know, just operate out of how you're wired, things you're passionate about. And, you know, one of the dangers is sometimes we do things we're passionate about and it's in line with how we're wired and it can succeed. Failure is a challenge, but success can almost be a greater challenge. Because people are going to come up to you and say, you know, as they did to me way back in the day, in my newspaper days, they, I had some believers say to me, you know, we've been praying that the Lord had raised somebody up in the heart of the media for 30 years. You are an answer to prayer. Now, that's pretty enticing, right? Being an mm-hmm. answer to somebody's prayer. And they mm-hmm. were well-meaning, but it's like, that's where you want to just go on your knees and say, you know, it's all you, Jesus. <laughs> I am not going to be tempted by the well-meaning praise of others. So as you work your way up, which sometimes if you operate out of your design and the area you're passionate about, you will be successful in business. You might, you know, some of the folks you coach as very successful leaders, that's when, you know, the more successful you are, the more the character and your faith and that sense of humility is vital so that you don't lose yourself on the way up. Yeah. And I think, you know, losing yourself, right? So we're talking about crucible moments. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things that the Lord said to me at my accident, the first thing he said to me, because he actually spoke to me, Mm -hmm. was that all things work together for good for those that love Mm -hmm. the Lord, right? And just frankly, at the time, I didn't even know that came from Romans. (laughs) But I think, you know, as we're going through these moments, and using this time, this is actually what helped me if this might help others, right? To understand, hey, what are my talents? What are those things that I do naturally, right? Like for me, I think it's, you know, listening to others, solving problems. I've always just been a strategic thinker, right? If we're putting together a plan, whether it's to launch something or, you know, work with a team better, I I just 
can kind of lay out the big picture view and then we have to figure out how to do it. So these talents are things that we just do naturally. We don't really have to learn them. A -hmm. skill, I think, are things that we've learned over time. Uh, We might want to learn new skills. We have these passions. We have spiritual gifts. And we also have our core values. And a lot of us don't Mm -hmm. really understand our core values because we're operating in the world the way we think we should show up. The values that we think we should have in a situation. But I think, honestly, taking time to slow down and really understand through these moments, what is that true nature of God? Like, Mm -hmm. I'll just be honest with you. After the accident, it was two years of recovery, 23 surgeries. There was time, like God told me the accident work, he's going to heal me. Right. Boy, this doesn't, I mean, come on, like, <laughs> what about the like, you know, just stand up and walk thing? That's not what happened, right? Right, right. I, I thought I signed up for the fast plan. I mean, yeah. what's going on here? So there's times I was angry at God and I was afraid to admit it. But guess what? He already knew. Yeah. But I think, you know, through that, really trying to, if I slow down to really understand who God is and who he made me to be, because before that, I was on this quest to have this grandiose vision that I'd love to share Mm -hmm. with people to understand what my assignment was, what is my calling. And I spent Mm -hmm. all this time. And sometimes that led me to, you know, operating on my own, trying to do big things on my own, seeing if maybe this was it, Mm -hmm. trying things. What I found was, and the way that you talk about it, right? Discover your design. The next thing you talk about is set your vision. Mm -hmm. Say vision occurs when your deep-seated beliefs and passion are combined with unique wiring. And I think what happens is we look for the vision before we've actually discovered our design. That's what makes it so hard to find. What I found in my own life, as soon as I did this deep work on who I was, that vision, that calling, that purpose was just revealed. It just happened. And it wasn't like this buried treasure that I'd been searching for my whole life. It was already right there, right underneath my feet. And so I love how you lay that out. What have you found as you worked, you know, understanding who you were, how did that lead you into what was next? Yeah, I mean, a good question. So as I, you know, in the 90s, I was a time of introspection. I took some assessments and you know, I had a coach go me through, you know, one particular assessment just to try and learn more about who I was. And I realized I was a reflective advisor and I also love listening to people. I also have a sort of a strategic sense, but I didn't quite know, like I understood who I was, but okay, what do I do with this? I wasn't that certain of the next step. And at least from my perspective, God doesn't always lay out a vision in, okay, here's a 20 year plan and here are the steps to accomplish it because that wouldn't require faith. And unfortunately for us, God puts a premium on faith. So there are some people that have a 20, 30-year vision all laid out with, you know, a Gantt chart, milestones, it's all there. Well, God almost never does that. So for me, (laughs) you know, in uh, I think it was about 2003, when I went through to an executive coach and did this battery of tests, and she said, you know, you'd have a great profile for executive coach. So what's that? So thought about it, became certified. And that was a journey along the way. I realized I loved listening to people and I would ask questions and people would say, well, that's a great point, Warwick. I was like, what do you mean by that? I'm just asking questions. But I realized despite my battered self-esteem, I had a leadership perspective and maybe a few grains of wisdom. So then, you know, that led me along with the talk in church to start writing about leadership. And I mean, at one point, me having led to the downfall of a, a billion-dollar company, what could I possibly have to say about leadership, right? I mean, 
you know, but I guess one learns from mistakes, even when, especially when they're big, perhaps. But bit by bit, through the book, and then realizing, gosh, I need a brand, and to you know, couple with all this, podcasts, blogs, the vision gradually grew, and I'm basically a reserved person. So I, at each step, it's sort of pushing my comfort zone. But I didn't get this 20-year vision back in 2003 or in the 90s. Oh, you're going to launch a podcast. It was bit by bit, almost like a fog, right? You see the next 10 yards, but maybe not the next two miles. So you just feel like, okay, Lord, this is how I'm wide. This is what my passions, beliefs. What's the next step? What's about using who I am for your kingdom in some fashion? And then just trust the voice, that still small voice, and just move on that. That doesn't sound super fun, right? You want the big plan. I'm a strategic thinker like you. I like the plan, but does that make sense? I mean, it, God typically doesn't work that way. He gives us the next step. Like as you were going through what you're going through, did God lay you out a 20-year plan or did you say, okay, John, this is what I want you to do next? You know, I mean. Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, that's become my prayer, right? I have this vision, right? And my vision is to equip and inspire leaders to work in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like my role has moved from trying to be the king, right, to accomplish mm-hmm. all these things in the world, to being the kingmaker. Right. right. And accepting that role for me was like so freeing and completely different than how I used to operate. And you have to lay your ego down because for most of us, you know, do you want to be the fighter pilot in the plane or the navigator or somebody in air traffic control speaking to the pilot? Everybody wants to be the fighter pilot, right? Not somebody on the ground. And so yeah, sometimes other people want to be the battle group commander, <laughs> right? Directing all the elements and the troops. And you know what? There's levels of preparation, right? You need to be the student and then you got to be the fighter pilot. Then you got to be the squadron commander. But, but, but so work your way up to that. Not everybody's wired that way. Some are better doers, uh, you know, in the cockpit, you know, this way more than I do. And they may not be good managers. They may not be good leaders of hundreds or thousands of people. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. So it's understanding your wiring and just the humility that it took for you to say, look, you know, could I be a king of different things? Maybe, but the highest good for my life from God's perspective, as you saw it and see it, is to be the kingmaker and help others. I'm a bit similar in that, you know, I'm not a manager, but because I can be detail-orientated when I need to be, you know, I'm not the kind of person that tends to drop things. So like I was on the school board, a Christian school board, and we, I led a whole strategic planning effort with three different committees and a whole bunch of things. And it was done. It was done well. You know, I did it kind of for the team, but it wasn't like in the sweet spot of my gifting to lead this whole thing, you know, but somebody needed to do it. But, you know, I don't like to do that every day, even though I can. It's just not the best use of my skills. I'm more the reflective advisor, the counselor, the hopefully offering some words of wisdom. And that's okay. Yeah, but if God asks you to step into that role, and I think back to what you said about living in the present, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's so important because there's a lot of scripture around this. But Mm -hmm. my prayer today, every day is, you know, Lord, show me your will. What's happening in the world? Yeah. Where you want me to join you? What Mm -hmm. I need to do Mm -hmm. to kind of adjust myself? What adjustments do I need to make? to join you, what I've also found in making some of those adjustments, right? You know, there's going to be sometimes a crisis of belief in myself or in faith. 
but it takes action. It takes faith and it takes action. It also takes community, having people around you to really have these conversations. But honestly, my prayer has become my mantra is what is that small step I just need to take today to make those changes, adjustments, and to partner with the Father Absolutely. And, you know, where the rubber meets the road is when that still small voice says, John Warwick, here's what I need you to do today. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. You know, say yes. And that's often really hard because like, wait, hang on. I don't get it. I don't feel comfortable. But you know when you know, right? You know when you feel like that's that small voice. Obviously, it's got to line up with scripture. If it's a big decision, I might chat to you know, a wife and a few friends who are believers. And yeah, there are checks and balances of confirming it. If they all say this is ludicrous, okay, maybe you pray again. But ultimately, when you hear that still small voice, you got to say yes. I mean, that's just the building block of a life of a kingdom influence. You have to say yes when you hear that voice. Yeah, you absolutely do. You know, and you know, God is constantly pursuing us. He wants a loving relationship with us. And that's a question I had to ask back. Was like, how much do I love the Lord? Mm-hmm. Right? Because it says, you know, this is from Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mm-hmm. and all your strength. So I think experiencing him and hearing our voice to the extent that we are working on creating that relationship with him so that we can hear him. It depends on the quality of that love relationship we have with God. And I mean, if that's I, not right, everything else is going to be harder. Absolutely. That, that is the secret sauce, the secret ingredient. It's really, again, James is one of my favorite books, about it's faith and action working in partnership. So one of the things we do at our church is sort of a chapter a day for the rest of your life, and our pastors actually put together and there are a lot of different resources like this that's available, but just being in the scriptures every day, reflecting on what that passage means for you, that is foundational. But it's as we have faith, we listen, we pray, we read, we learn, we take those steps of faith, those steps of faith then increase our faith, increase our desire to learn. It's a virtuous circle of faith and action working together. But without the action, it makes it harder for the faith cycle to keep continuing, if you will. So it's that virtuous circle of faith and action working together that can really increase our level of faith, our ability to listen to the Lord, that fuels all the things we can do from a kingdom perspective. That's really the key, faith and action working in tandem. Yeah, and I think you said something there that's huge for people, that action taking in faith is actually what brings us clarity on that next step. And I used to get those backwards. I wanted the clarity on the next step before I wanted to move in action, which actually kept me stuck a number of times in my life because I honestly had what you just said backwards. And maybe if there's one takeaway from people here, it's like, hey, well, I don't know what action to take. Well, guess what? Do something and something will happen. How's that? Right? Maybe if it's changed your habit and you get up in the morning and just spend 10 minutes reading the word, if that's not your habit now, start, right? Maybe it's just looking out into the world with the prayer, God, reveal your will. What do you want me to do today? You might not even get an answer for a while, but as you start working on those things, all of a sudden, 
you're going to just start feeling like you're making progress. Absolutely. And for me, I can only speak from my experience. I can't really remember too often when I feel like, gee, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I just feel like the more that we patiently listen, the Lord will tell us what our next step is. You know, I often find, to be honest, that's really an excuse. For most people, it's not so much, oh, I don't what the Lord wants me to do. It's more, I don't like what he wants me to do. Therefore, I'm pretending I don't know <laughs> because it's easy to say I don't know rather than oh, I know what he wants me to do. I just don't want to do it. That's mm-hmm. not politically acceptable within Christian circles. It's like, you're saying you're disobeying God. Absolutely. Uh-huh. That's me. It's like, you know, it's just not something you do in your Bible study. It just doesn't go down too well. So, yeah, I just feel it's not a little bit of a cop out in some cases that if we really pray about it, he'll tell us the next step. And back to your point earlier, you know, faith is really, you know, believing in what, you know, might be, but without knowing exactly how you're going to get there or what's going to happen. In Hebrews 11, the sort of the hall of fame of faith. I mean, it's, you know, they didn't know quite what was going to happen, but yet they still believe. So that's, Yeah. I do feel like God gives us the information we need to know at the right time. And I just, you just have to stand on that. Yeah, I agree. So the website, everybody out there listening, I'd love for you to connect to Warwick and what he's doing. He and his partner, Gary, crucibleleadership.com. And the podcast, fantastic podcast is beyond the crucible and it's on all the different podcast platforms. And so, you know, Warwick, as we wrap up, Think about the people out there listening all over the world that are maybe in that crucible moment right now. You know, they're at the, the bottom, right? What would you share with them? You know, when you're in the middle of a crucible experience, John, as, as you know, as, as well as anybody, it's not fun. It's just agonizing. It's easy to say, why me? This is awful. But one of the things I say in crucible leadership is a crucible doesn't have to be the end of your story. It can be the beginning. It doesn't feel like that at the time, but, you know, have this sense that, okay, this is awful, but is there a way that if you're a believer, God can use this for his glory, for his kingdom in some fashion? And begin to think about that. Begin to pray about, well, you know, what could that be? How am I wide? How am I designed? What am I passionate about? And then link that back to your crucible. Is there a way of using this crucible to help others? Because a life focused on helping others life of significance, as I called it, there's some healing aspect. When you help others, you know, like just in closing, for me, here's one example, you know, I don't get thousands of letters, but every once in a while, you know, I get something from folks. You know, I got something from somebody just the other day, a woman who'd closed a business after 10 years. She even had, you know, receivers at her door, bill collectors, and she was lying in bed feeling terrible, Somehow I got the class notes, was reading, was listening to the podcast. And she actually said, Harvard doesn't really prepare you for loss because <laughs> so many businesses fail. But what really helped her is she felt less alone. She thanked me for being honest. And it sounds like she's also a person of faith. She thought that God wanted her to do this business, but I guess somehow he didn't. So just that sense of, you know, from her example, it's like, how did I help her? It was as simple as, I'm not alone. Somebody else has been through what I'm going through. So that's one letter, and there's a few, but that means a lot to me. It's like, okay, because I'm human. If I can help one person, that's enough. More than one is good, but one, that's good. So use your pain to help others. It's healing. It's comforting. It's frankly, it's encouraging. 
Thank you so much, and thank you for the work that you're doing. I'd love for you guys to plug into Warwick. If there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know. And I have been speaking on this topic, how really becoming your best self, really understanding who you are is the key to unlocking your purpose. I've been speaking on that to both Christian groups and also to business organizations. I think it's that concept of really understanding how to bring out the best in who we are in an organization, regardless of what they do is the key to success and significance. So anybody else out, anybody out there knows a place where I could share that message. I'd love to talk with you. So Warwick, thank you so much for what you're doing, my friend, and you are always welcome here. I just love having conversations with you. Well, thanks so much, John. And I love what you're doing with business leaders and encouraging them and putting them back to character and faith. It's a great kingdom mission. So thank you, John. Thank you, buddy. Have a great one. Okay, thanks.